You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. South Carolina prepares for tomorrow's primary, confident that it will be able to conduct the vote securely and without disruption. An evolved version of the Cerberus Trojan has been spotted. Bots are making fraudulent appeals for brush fire aid to the Australian Red Cross. The FCC is preparing to fine four major wireless carriers for mishandling user geolocation data. Proposed changes to FISA surveillance in the U.S. And a farewell to RSAC 2020. From the 2020 RSA Conference in San Francisco, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Friday, February 28th, 2020. The U.S. state of South Carolina holds its presidential primary tomorrow. The voting there, unlike the very troubled Democratic caucus in Iowa, will be run by state election officials, not the political parties themselves. One of the technologies in use in South Carolina will be closely watched. The state is using touchscreen voting machines during this election cycle. The machines do produce a paper ballot, but some observers have expressed concern that those ballots will prove less reliable than a traditional hand-marked paper ballot. Machines, the fear runs, are susceptible to hacking or sabotage in ways that pen and paper are not. The Washington Post summarizes security measures in place for tomorrow's voting. State and county officials have been training to manage election cyber risks for two years. Paper ballots are available as a backup should problems arise with the new touchscreen voting machines. Both the State Election Commission and the state's Democratic Party are monitoring social media for disinformation. Only the Democrats will be holding a primary. The South Carolina Democrats also have lawyers standing by in three cities, ready to respond quickly to reports of either disinformation or voter suppression. And finally, the party has a room full of millennials, social media jockeys, who will presumably take care of counter-messaging against misinformation. Transparency is tough enough without even attempting fact-checking or counter-messaging. Facebook, the New York Times reports, is having trouble keeping up with presidential candidate Mike Bloomberg's meme troupe. Mr. Bloomberg's campaign has paid influencers to post content favorable to them. It's also hired what Reuters calls hundreds of digital organizers to send content out through their personal accounts. None of this seems illegal, to be sure, but Facebook worries that it comes close to a breach of Menlo Park's terms of service. It's not coordinated inauthenticity since the influencers and organizers are who they say they are, but it does seem to the social network that this kind of hiring 
amounts to sailing pretty close to the wind. Some of the memes are amusing in a self-deprecating way with the occasional intrusions of leet-speak like LFMAO mixed with suggestions that Mr. Bloomberg means well but doesn't quite get it, like addressing a message to Mrs. Dow Jones. Business Insider has a good sample if you're curious. The campaign is said by the New York Times to be the work of Meme 2020, a young company that works memes in social media, the way Madison Avenue used to work jingles on radio and broadcast television. Threat Fabric Research indicates that an evolved version of the Cerberus Android banking trojan can now steal Google two-factor authentication codes, and Cerberus is now also a rat with serious remote access functionality. Threat Fabric thinks that the new Cerberus is in a testing phase, but it can be expected to move into widespread uses soon. The Australian Red Cross is being flooded with bot-driven fraudulent requests for brush fire aid, SBS News reports. The staff is able to weed out the bogus cries for help, but it's time-consuming and wastes resources, working harm and doing nobody, not even the criminal bot masters, any good. Reuters says that the U.S. FCC is preparing to fine four major mobile carriers, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, and T-Mobile U.S., a total of $200 million for improperly disclosing real-time consumer location data. In May 2018, the FCC began investigating reports that a flawed website could enable mobile phone users to be geolocated. That inquiry subsequently expanded to cover other ways in which third parties were using customer location data. U.S. Senator Rand Paul, Republican of Kentucky, tells the Wall Street Journal his proposal to rein in FISA has White House support. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, signed by President Carter in 1978, established a FISA court to oversee requests for surveillance of U.S. citizens for counterintelligence or national security reasons. Senator Paul's proposed amendment would require the government to obtain warrants for such surveillance from ordinary federal courts, as they do now in all other cases. RSAC 2020 wraps up today, and we'll close our coverage of the event with this podcast. We're still coming to you from San Francisco, that city by the other bay. Some final thoughts on the conference. It seemed to our people on the floor that the companies who attended this year's conference found the traffic a bit lighter than in some previous years, but that they found the conversations they had with visitors to their booths noticeably more productive. There were, one exhibitor remarked, fewer swag baggers, and we're proud to say that our decision to leave certain members of our editorial staff back in Baltimore contributed to this positive winnowing. But there were many people who proved to be quality leads. So, in general, apparently a satisfying conference. Thanks to all who visited us on Broadcast Alley. Don't be strangers. It was great meeting you all. We hope to see you all again soon. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps. 
keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Mike Benjamin. He's the head of CenturyLink's Black Lotus Labs. Uh, Mike, it is great to have you join us here at the RSA conference. Thanks for having me, Dave. So uh, we are a couple days into the conference as we record this. So I feel like we, we really had a chance to uh, get a sense for uh, the, the tone of the conference overall, what's on people's minds. What's your sense as you walk around? What sorts of things are, uh, are, are rising to the top of your attention? You know, I thought it was interesting this year. I, I walked the floor last year and I left feeling that uh, everybody needed to say the words AI in every, <laughs> every booth and conversation. And, and there's still some token uh, AI use here and there. Yeah. But I think it's calmed down a little. People are maturing into understanding how to use statistics in their work and not trying to sell as much maybe uh, snake oil with some of their, their capabilities. But overall... You know, industry maturing, I think, is probably the biggest take-home I would take this year. How do you think that manifests itself in terms of the maturity? Are we seeing... Like, it strikes me that there's no shortage of startups, and I would imagine with maturing comes consolidation. Uh, maybe we lose a little bit of, like you say, some of that breathlessness with the hype with some of the technologies. What does that mean to you? Well, it, you know, one thing I find is that once people get informed on a topic, they know how to ask questions. They actually can ascertain whether something's good or bad. And, you know, the I can prevent any malware on earth statement persisted quite a few years ago. And that went away pretty fast, too, right? As people learned, you know, that's not possible. Explain to me what you're actually doing that's different. And people can ascertain for themselves whether they should go forward with the technology, whether they should adopt a new trend, and where it fits into their, you know, defense and depth strategy as a buyer. Mm-hmm. What sort of messaging are you all putting out uh, from CenturyLink? What, what are some of the things you're sharing this year? Well, th there's a few things we focus on. Obviously, we're a, a massive telecommunications company, and so we have an opportunity to make security simple for our customers. So if you'd like to block a threat, we already are caring for those customers, their traffic. We really have an opportunity to block things, filter things. And so simplicity and then the visibility that we get from our networks, that's what we're looking at at Blacklist Labs. When I'm on the show, we're, we're talking about the threats we're able to glean from that knowledge. And so can we make it simple while still blocking with the knowledge we have from an advanced threat basis? Is there anything as you walk around that you feel isn't getting the attention it deserves? Well, it's, it's sad to say, but it's the simple blocking and tackling and risk understanding, the, the GRC basics that every company here has to worry about. There's not enough booths really just helping them with the basics of running their program. 
a lot of it tends to be whiz-bang technology rather than focused on, you know, here's what it takes to run a security program and how can we actually help you with it. We as an industry do tend to get really excited about those advanced actors and those advanced malwares. And I, I, I'm guilty of it too. I love those topics. They're really fun to learn about. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, your, your average CISO really needs to run a program and, and that's what the industry needs to help them with. What do you get out of a, a conference like this for, for yourself attending from an educational point of view, from you know, your own personal enrichment? What do you go home with? That's a great question. I, I'm going to give away my secret here, so, so <laughs> apologies as I do it. Um, I walk to the smallest booths possible, mm -hmm. and I go have conversations. They tend to be staffed by the people who actually built the technology or really ingrained in how they're helping their customers. There's some great ideas that come out of those companies. There's some great conversations to be had. You tend to get the pulse of what new ideas are coming out, out of the, the fringe vendors, the fringe folks. And then I really enjoy seeing all the folks that I work with in person, right? We, mm -hmm. we as a security community, we definitely adopt the technology. We're all in way too many Slack channels and key base and signal messaging. It's good to shake a hand and see the people that you, you work with and build those relationships because at the end of the day, we all have to work together to raise the cost of how actors are being successful if we're going to have a chance stopping them. Yeah. All right. Mike Benjamin, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. RSAC 2020 wraps up this year with magicians Penn & Teller joining RSA Program Committee Chair Hugh Thompson and Carnegie Mellon's Lori Craner on stage to share their insights into human behavior and security fallibility. I caught up with Penn & Teller before the show. When you're doing a, a con one-on-one, -on -one, or even conning in a, in a pyramid scheme a few thousand, there's some sort of investment to get over the hump, whether that's having to expose yourself uh, to uh, possibly being busted. But the, the, the thing about, uh, about phishing scams is you can send out, uh, you know, 100 million emails, and all you have to do is hit your most vulnerable. So whereas someone who's doing a pigeon drop scam or, uh, or any of these get-rich-quick scams or even, um, even paving your driveway scams right. or any of that, uh, you have to find uh, an older person in their home. You have to, you have to go there. You, you might be bumping into a, uh, an ex-law enforcement person who's aware of this stuff. There's a, there's a lot of risk. When you're sending out hundreds of millions of emails, you you know, you don't need to get close to one hundredth of one percent to be able to hit. So you can dumb them down tremendously to protect yourself. You don't want to get someone on the hook 
who is at all savvy. Right, right. So there's a, there's a, the difference in numbers changes the whole con thing. Although it does come down to, you know, um, and you don't want to overstate this because you end up blaming the victim for the crime, which is always a mistake. Right. But it does come down to something for nothing. And you, you, you have to be very careful of that. You know, you're not going to be offered the deal that's something for nothing. And it's very hard to remember that because it's very seductive. But once again, I don't want to get close to blaming the victim for the crime. Yeah. We do that so easily in scams going, oh, these people that fall for this are stupid or these people. I mean, it's a small step from there to, uh, you know, she shouldn't have been dressed like that walking in the street. It's a small step to that. And it's it's deeply, deeply immoral. Yeah. Do you feel as though with the, the perspective that, that you have, the, the knowledge that you have, um, like I'm imagining if you're walking down the street and you see someone doing a shell game, mm-hmm. you know, like you know what the mechanisms that are going on, you, you can watch that from right, a different but, point of view than me. But no, no, I, no, because um, that's part of the lie. You know, uh, when, when David Mamet writes about scams, it's always this kind of um, beautiful interplay that shows um, basic human needs and desires. That's not what's going on in Three Card Monty. If uh, Teller and I were to go up and know every single move and be able to see the move, which we couldn't do anyway, but let's postulate that we could, we could see the move and therefore be able to make the bet and stop them from doing the turnover and stop all of that. There are six people working that scam and they will pull you in the back alley, beat you up, and take your money. I see. Uh, <laughs> it is not someone outsmarting you at a game. It is somebody who is uh, uh, a thug, a bully, a violent person operating outside of the trust of society who will hit you. So if you were able to say, that's where the queen is, hold the person's hand back, turn over the queen, show that to them triumphantly, they are not going to go, jolly good, well played, here's our money. Right. They're not going to say that. So we can't pretend that people, and there's even that romance that goes on in phishing scams. Right. Here's how smart they were to throw a um, to throw a thumb drive in the parking lot that someone picked up and checked it out. The people that decide to do that are operating outside of our rules. So if they, if you were to outsmart them, they will beat you up. But is it fair to dismiss what might be a certain level of craft? They, they've, they've become good at it through practice, yes? I think, I think uh, the craft, you know, you'll always see this stuff like, oh, pickpockets. Right, They're right. so good and so quick at the handoffs. Yes, compared to someone doing it for the first time, not compared to the Olympic relay team. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, and the people who have clever fishing scams are not anywhere near the level of the people who developed Unix at Bell Labs. You know, right. it's just um, we, we, we make a big mistake when we uh, glorify anything about this. I've often wondered, like, um, you know, to me, a, um, a close-up sleight-of-hand magician would never have to pay for a candy bar unless they wanted to, right? Well, no, it's, it's but, a different skill. It's a different. But you understand what I'm. I mean, my my point that point is that you 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 choose. No, everybody chooses. Right. You do not have to pay for a candy bar. Uh, I I can assure you that you have been 
at a convenience store right. when, um, when someone wasn't watching you closely that you could have stuck it in your pocket. Um, there's no special skill to stealing. There really is no special skill to stealing. Um, it, uh, you know, most of, most of your robberies are opportunist. The idea of the, uh, the clever heist, the Ocean's Eleven, is essentially a fiction. There's a few stories of very clever robberies, but those stories are, there's two dozen of them over the past hundred years. I mean, they're they're just they're just not. There's the there's the one with the with with the, with the dice being switched at a table on innocent people while something else is happening over there. That's very very clever, and that's something that happened in the late '60s that is still brought up as the one clever scam. Right. Mostly, it's people who are. Uh, most of your crimes are done by um, by high, stupid, incompetent people who are willing to perpetrate violence on other people. I don't think there's any difference in the cyber world. Podcasting is an audio medium, obviously. You have your yep. your podcast. Are you aware of any, um, of the existence of any audio-only magic tricks? Is, is magic uh, a visual medium? Everybody's, uh, there, there's a bunch. You know, there's uh, uh, our mentor, Johnny Thompson, used to talk about radio tricks in a live show where the visual is there. We have tricks in our show that um, we hope you don't notice, but um, you aren't really seeing very much. You are counting on the audience reaction and our reaction and the way it happens there. And it's not actual close-ups uh, of, of what's happening. Uh, magic is, to me, an intellectual medium more than, than uh, when you're talking about pure illusion, which to me is the lowest form of magic, hmm. just something that looks one way instantly, um, you know, the stuff that is done with mirrors or optically. I think that's the least interesting kind of magic. The most interesting kind of magic at one level or another, I, I believe, is psychological. So there I've been... Um, there have been okay uh, audio, uh, uh, audio only magic tricks. They are harder, uh, just like TV only magic tricks are much harder because you really want to be in the room so that the um, the rules of time and physics uh, can cannot be uh, cannot be manipulated. The problem with magic on television is the most amazing magic trick we could ever do happens every 20 seconds in TV, which is a different point of view. Mm -hmm. If we could suddenly have you looking at us from over there, it would be the most phenomenal magic trick ever done. And yet on TV, all the time. Right. On TV, you have Avengers. You know, you have you have all that that's showing. Right. So audio has kind of that same problem. If uh, if we do a trick right here for people that you know and you understand that they are being honest and they are sincerely shocked, that's very different than someone you don't know in, in, in audio. So I would say that it's not so much the difference between sound and light as is the difference between immediacy and real in the room. Our thanks to Penn and Teller for joining us. We'll have a longer version of this interview on an upcoming episode of our Hacking Humans podcast, so be sure to check that out and subscribe. Special thanks to CyberWire producer Jennifer Iben for coordinating our interview with Penn and Teller.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.